My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. We talk about all these different environmental toxins in our world, right? We talk about asbestos and mercury and lead and arsenic and EMF. None of them have the deliberate intent to injure. Mold does. Hunter-gatherer ancestral, uh, I think, is the way to go. I think the problem with carnivore is that, uh, number one, a lot of the carnivore gurus, they tell people not to eat, eat the seafood. Seafood's the healthiest food on the planet. Fitness, nutrition, biohacking, longevity, life optimization, spirituality, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the Ben Greenfield Life Show. Are you ready to hack your life? Let's do this. Well, folks, my guest on today's show is a guy I've known and and known of for quite some time. I think way back in the days of the Paleo FX uh, conference down in Austin, Texas, I used to run into this cat. He's he's not only a board certified cardiologist and a top best selling author in the realm of cardiology. But he also has probably one of the most badass names out there for a guy who's like a primal paleo dude. It's Dr. Jack Wolfson. So first, Jack, congratulations on on having a really fantastic name. <laughs> Thank you so much. And it's it's funny, sometimes I'll get that comment from random people. I'll say my name, Jack Wolfson, and this random person, like, wow, what a cool name. But, you know, growing <laughs> up with the name Jack in the 1970s was not a cool thing because there was a guy by the name of Wolfman Jack. He was a famous kind of disc jockey back in the day. And then all the nursery rhymes that have Jack in it, that was a little bit uh, problematic, but I appreciate that. Now. Oh. Thank you, Ben. Okay. Well, we'll just call you Dr. Wolf. So um, anyways, though, for, for those of you who uh, who may not be familiar with Jack, and by the way, I'll put the show notes for everything we talk about over at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Wolfson, W-O-L-F-S-O-N, bengreenfieldlife.com slash Wolfson. He is the founder of this company called Natural Heart Doctor. He has a heart health practice. He has a really fantastic website called thedoctorswolfson.com, which I'll link to in the show notes. He's been all over the place, NBC, CNN, the Washington Post. Uh, He's won numerous awards, particularly in the realm of holistic health. And that's really why I wanted to get Jack on because he has a book called The Paleo Cardiologist, The Natural Way to Heart Health. And, you know, as that name would imply, he actually is into a little bit more of an ancestral uh, manner of taking care of your ticker. And because I've personally been taking a much deeper dive into heart health, uh, into where natural remedies come into the mix, uh, into what kind of tests are best that go beyond just a basic lipid panel, and even into the realm of of statins and things like PCSK9 inhibitors, which I think have a lot of controversy and possibly some confusion around them. I thought it'd be really fantastic to get Jack on the show. And then finally, um, Jack's involved with another company called Calroy, C-A-L-R-O-Y. And in my quest over the past several months to look into heart health products and ways to support the lining of the blood vessels and also the production of nitric oxide. I've been pretty impressed with this company, Calroy. And so I was pleased to see Jack's involved with them as well. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about particularly uh, two of their their supplements, their main supplements that I'm really interested in myself, the the Vasconox for nitric oxide and the arterial support compound called uh, Arteracil 
which kind of have a, <laughs> I have all these labels in my pantry and there's a label uh, for heart health products. And, and those are the two that are in there along with a little bit of uh, a natto uh, vitamin E and a, a couple of other choice things. If you're in your 30s or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different newly discovered plant-derived ingredients that when expertly combined can help to reduce senescent cells and the folks at Neurohacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months, and you only use it twice a month. Six capsules twice a month, super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning, then I set it and forget it for a month nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try, try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee, and that code Ben Seno will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash Ben Seno. Jack, welcome to the show. Uh, and, um, I, I would just love to hear your story a little bit of how you got into cardiology in the first place. Yeah, sure thing, Ben. And again, I appreciate you being on and everybody taking a listen here. So I'm a board certified cardiologist, like my father before me. Again, my father was a cardiologist. I grew up amongst cardiologists. It was always my dream to do that. And uh, I would eventually uh, finish up 10 years of medical training and then join the biggest group in the state of Arizona in cardiology. And then from there, I would become the chairman of medicine, director of cardiology, director of cardiac rehab, Phoenix top doctor by my peers in 2011. But along the way, I would meet the woman who would become uh, my wife. And uh, she is a uh, DC, doctor of chiropractic. And as things were going really well for me in the cardiology realm, my father was not doing so well. He would eventually be labeled with a Parkinson's-like illness in his late 50s. And uh, we take him to the Mayo Clinic and the Mayo Clinic says they have no idea why he's sick. They've got no treatment for him and he'll be dead within three years. So again, serendipitously, I meet this young chiropractor and um, she tells me all the reasons why my father is sick and dying. And the Mayo Clinic has no idea. The chiropractor has all the ideas. And <laughs> wait, really wait, she, she's only supposed to know about the neck and the back and the supposed quackery medicine, right? She, uh, fortunately, she is a fantastic adjuster and knows about uh, uh, neck and back, but she knows everything holistic, which so many chiropractors are really trained to do. And that's why I really believe that chiropractors are just perfectly situated to be like that primary care gateway type people. But as she would say all these things, and Mayo Clinic has no idea, here's the 29-year-old chiropractor who's got all the ideas. And she said, you need to become a DC. And I said, wait a second, you want me to become a chiropractor after all the training I went through and I'm on the job and I'm making all this money? You want me to become a chiropractor? And she said, no, not DC doctor of chiropractic. You have to become a DC doctor of cause. Oh. And that is what I did. My father, we were too late to save him, but uh, I'm here to save everybody else to the best of my ability. You know, it's interesting because I think, um, I don't know if you know uh, Stephen Hussey, 
he wrote a really great book called Understanding the Heart. It's probably like the best two-part series I think I've ever done on caring for the heart. Although, of course, I know you're now poised to blow that one out of the water on today's discussion. But I think he might be a chiropractic as well. Are you familiar with him, Stephen Hussey? You know, uh, Stephen has, uh, Dr. Hussey has reached out to me, you know, before, and we've had some communications. I uh, Candidly, I've not read his book. But again, anyone who is putting forth the information that if we eat well, live well, think well, test, don't guess, evidence-based supplements, biohacking strategies, that's the solution. The solution's not going to come with injections. The solution's not going to come at Walgreens, you know, the corner of happy and healthy, that sham of what that is. The, the solutions are going to come from within. We are genetically designed perfectly. God created us perfectly to be who we are. We can run and jump and you know, you've got the, you know, I believe you've got four children. I've got four children. The human body can do anything. And to think that it's genetically programmed to have heart disease, which is what the medical doctors tell people, is an absolute farce. The answer is not pharma. The answer is to fix what causes it, becoming a doctor of cause. Yeah. Well, I've got two children, but thank you for manifesting an extra two for me. We'll see if that <laughs> happens, welcome. Jack. Um, <laughs> well, they do say that erectile function is directly linked to heart health and that a uh, droopy boner is a canary in the coal mine for potential heart issues. So you might be onto something there, ma'am. Um, and, and that actually leads into something I want to talk a little bit about, not just nitric oxide, but you know, there's so many directions I could go with you. And I've talked a lot in the past about stress and measuring HRV, about sleep, about magnesium and minerals, about red light therapy, about a lot of these things that might be considered more natural in the realm of heart health. But something I've been trying to really wrap my head around lately is this concept. It's kind of a mouthful, but I haven't talked about it on the podcast much. So I want to start with some things I haven't talked about before. And that's this thing called the endothelial glycocalyx. I realize that's a mouthful. It makes me sound really smart to be able to spit that out. But I've been increasingly interested in it because after getting my plaque, you know, calcium score several months ago and having a higher value than what I really like to see, in some of my digging, it turns out that for me to address the health of the endothelial glycocalyx is really important. It's something that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. So I was wondering if you could unpack that a little bit and explain what that is and why it's important when it comes to heart health. Yeah, most certainly. So the the blood vessel, the, an artery, for example, a coronary artery that you say develops calcification, which obviously it does based on a CT scan, which I'll be happy to dive into more because I'm totally anti-CT scans. I'm anti-radiation, anti-CT oh, okay. scans, but we'll, we'll go from there and to say that the the glycocalyx, the blood vessel itself is broken down classically into three layers, what's called the intima, which is the closest to blood flow. And then there's the media, which are smooth muscle cells that help the blood vessel expand and contract. And there's the adventitia, which is a support layer to the intima and, and the media. Now, the intima has a one cell layer called the endothelium, and that's a one cell layer, and that does some magical things inside the blood vessel. But attached to the endothelium, is this hair-like layer called the glycocalyx. And the glycocalyx, I want everyone to envision as this seaweed, almost like seaweed floating at the bottom of an ocean. The seaweed is kind of floating back and forth and back and forth. And this 
layer called the glycocalyx is protective of the endothelium, the intima, and then ultimately the media and adventitious. So it's very protective of the blood vessel in and of itself. And we can measure this levels with electron microscopy uh, in, in laboratory models and animal models, and even in human, you can assess in some way, shape, or form that. And we want to have an extensive glycocalyx. It is like Teflon protecting the inside, you know, protecting a pan, if you will, which of course you and I are both anti-Teflon, so that may not be the best example. But it really (laughs) is, if we can make a blood vessel Teflon, if we can make the inside of the blood vessel slick like the outside of a fish, nothing will stick to it. Nothing will stick to the outside of the fish because it's got like this gelatinous layer. In the case of the glycocalyx, it's made up of heparan, sulfate, uh, glycosaminoglycans, uh, other molecules, but the magic there is the sulfur. And if we load our bodies with sulfur, we can really help to improve that layer. And of course, there's food-based sources of sulfur, there's supplement sources of sulfur. And I think that's a great start to that conversation, but it's a very protective layer. The other thing that helps to markedly increase the size of uh, glycocalyx and also an area in there called the exclusion zone, which may be a new concept to everybody who's listening as well. The exclusion zone was made famous by a PhD researcher uh, from Washington State by the name of Gerald Pollack, and he wrote The Fourth Phase of Water. And in there, he talks about the exclusion zone. Yeah, I interviewed him and I interviewed Dr. Thomas Cowan who wrote a really great book called Human Heart, Cosmic Heart. Both of those guys talked a little bit about the exclusion zone. I'd love to hear you, you uh, explain why that's important when it comes to this endothelial glycocalyx, though. Yeah, no, I mean, so, you know, so, um, uh, you know, Pollock obviously did a research and Cowan, you know, read that research and I read the research. Neither one of us did, you know, the original, you know, bench research on, you know, on that, obviously. But the idea there, again, is that the exclusion zone is an area of water closest, in this case, let's just purely talk about it as it relates to a a blood vessel. So that exclusion zone is this protective area that is, when it's healthiest, uh, provides a good buffer. So things, as blood flow kind of goes along, things just bounce along, they don't stick to arterial walls. The process works as it's supposed to. Things get into the arterial walls that belong, things stay in the blood vessel circulation that don't belong. And this helps to protect against uh, uh, coagulation disorders and helps keep the endothelium healthy, therefore releasing nitric oxide, opening blood vessels, you know, as needed, uh, expansion and contraction of blood vessels as needed. But a healthy exclusion zone is important. And the, and the area of the glycocalyx is inside of the exclusion zone. So they can basically be thought of as, as mutually inclusive and both mutually necessary. So the way that I think maybe it was Dr. Thomas Cowan explained it to me is that plants don't really have a heart. They don't have a way of like pumping necessarily fluids from the bottom of the plant up towards the top of the plant against gravity. And it's more the flow of liquid via electricity, meaning like a positive charge, I think on the outside of the vessel and a negative charge on the inside that allows for fluids to be able to pull, be pulled up through the plant against gravity and that if you have a similar exclusion zone inside your body, in the, in the arteries, for example, you have less resistance of blood flow 
when the heart contracts and that allows more blood and more oxygen to be delivered with less resistance all the way through and to the tiny capillaries at like the end of the fingertips and the end of the toes. And that by having a body that's got good electrolytes, good minerals, good hydration, exposure to photons of light, like infrared light, sunlight, etc., and even, you know, earthing and grounding and being in contact with the surface of the planet, you would therefore have kind of like a healthier exclusion zone. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, no, 100%, Ben, uh, as, as per usual with you. No, I mean, your grasp of that is absolutely, you know, fantastic. You know, one thing, I don't, I don't know much about Dr. Cowan's uh, book, um, and, but I do know it, it has been asked of me is whether or not the heart is a pump. And I guess he would say that it's not a pump. And I would say that it is a pump, but that's really just semantics because on a macro, on a macro vascular level, as far as the heart, you know, pumps and you know, so it squeezes and it relaxes. So it does all of that classical way you would define a pump. But the question is what really happens a, in the capillary areas, because we know that there is no pumping action inside of a capillary, that it is truly dependent on pressure gradients, but then also the electrical gradients that you speak of. And as you maintain healthy electrical gradients, well, then you will have that type of laminar flow that occurs that allows proper nutrient exchange in an appropriate fashion. So that is all uh, inherently true. But the the coronary arteries, the body does pump into, you know, the heart pumps into the coronary arteries, uh, blood flow and circulation, but it does take us down to that microscopic level, to the electron microscopic level, where we see the importance of that glycocalyx. And then again, nutrients and supportive processes that support that. And again, I think it just goes into the whole concept of what we do at Natural Heart Doctor, which is eat well, live well, think well, what foods support, what foods don't support, what lifestyle supports, as you mentioned, sleep, sunshine, the physical activity movement, you on the treadmill right now, avoiding the environmental toxins and pollutants that can interfere with the endothelial glycocalyx and interfere with endothelial function, epithelial function of the gut in and of itself. And, uh, and that's a critically important area, you know, to discuss. And then the thought processes, you know, how, you know, what is our level of spirituality? Uh, what is our belief system, our purpose, our passion? Uh, our sense of community, all these things are, and they're all equally as important, right? The eat well is just as important as the live well and the think well. Uh, so many different areas to go in, in that arena. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked about, you know, a lot of that stuff, positive emotions, low stress, good sleep, you know, exposure to the surface of the planet, being outdoors, getting into the sunlight, you know, a sauna practice, even with something like infrared, et cetera. And you know, I've even discussed that point that you brought up about whether or not the heart is a pump a couple of times. Like, you know, I think it's more semantics, like you mentioned. I think that um, the concept of the heart being spaced or enclosed in this, I think it's it's a tetrahedral-like shape within the chest, lends itself to the concept of the heart muscles contracting and producing almost like this spiralizing effect when the heart contracts and that spiralizing effect in a very similar manner as like a structured water filter that a lot of people are into in their homes now causes the, the blood as it's released from the heart to be almost like swirling. And that would create this exclusion zone that creates 
less resistance to blood flow through the body. So it's almost like the heart is a pump and the heart is contracting, but it's the nature of the contraction being a little bit more complex than I think many of us are taught in say like anatomy or biology. And it's the the lending of the nature of the shape of the heart in the chest and the spiralizing effect of the heart creating almost like a spiralizing blood flow through the body that, that I think is the subtle nuance when it comes to whether or not the heart is a pump. Is, is that kind of like the way that you think about the heart when it comes to the, to the way that yeah. it contracts? Yeah. I mean, again, the, the, the contractions, of the heart are, are well documented as far as, you know, you know, the direction of contractility, the purpose of that direction, the vortices that create are created uh, from that, but just the way the heart is shaped, the, the heart muscle, the trabeculae, the anatomy of the heart, everything is geared towards that being able to shrink in size and to be able to eject blood at a maximum level. So there is that. But I think also that the idea that the heart also generates that electromagnetic field, and that inherently is can be sensed, obviously, to, to a degree uh, outside of our bodies as well. But that electromagnetic force that's field that's generated also likely leads to peripheral arterial venous capillary circulation as well that I think is an area certainly that doesn't have much research in there whatsoever but I think conceptually we can see how that would be part of the benefit when it comes to the exclusion zone and maintaining kind of like a, a beneficial charge of the body's battery via some of these natural lifestyle practices that we've alluded to like you know infrared sauna or grounding and earthing or proper hydration status or mineral intake. Do they teach that kind of stuff in medical school? No, no. You know that. That's a rhetorical question, right? You know that medical doctors are trained in pharmaceuticals and surgical procedures. They don't teach any of that. They, there's no nutrition. There's no discussions about lifestyle. I can tell you in my 10 years of medical training, we didn't talk about nutrition. We didn't talk about sunlight. We didn't talk about infrared. You know, we didn't talk about the things you mentioned as far as the, the evidence and the common sense ability, what, but the evidence that the sun of what the sun and sunlight does to the exclusion zone, that data is, is fairly new. But that's how really it was discovered. It was serendipitously discovered in Pollock's lab uh, when they came in and they noticed that they left the lights on overnight and that and the, the lights of what the artificial lights even were and what that did to extend the exclusion zone and how beneficial that was you know, in that area. But no, yeah. this is nothing that they teach. There's, there's nothing about vitamins, minerals. I mean, listen, Ben, when I lift the biggest group in the state of Arizona, uh, I was laughed at. Uh, I was criticized. I was ridiculed. And again, when it comes down to the medical doctors, uh, you know, your listeners know this. It's, it's, it is about, it is about uh, profits. And it's also about that godlike complex of what the doctors have. Don't try and tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. I mean, I was trained the right way. But that's just classic brainwashing since the Rockefeller uh, uh, Declaration and, and the Flexner Report in, in the early 1900s. And it's a, it's a shame, but there's more and more holistic practitioners, as you know, who are, who are coming out. And this is where the revolution's happening. Yeah, what you just mentioned is actually really important because Dr. Pollock, what he showed in his lab, for those of you who, who heard uh, Jack just refer to that, it's this idea that he had water that was in small glass vessels and the water formed an exclusion zone in those small vessels. But when the water was exposed to photons of light, 
that exclusion zone basically became strengthened and the ability of water to move up through those small glass vessels against gravity was remarkably enhanced when the water was exposed to specifically light in the in the infrared and the red light wavelength spectrum, which again is why it appears, or at least one of the reasons why it appears that infrared sauna and sunlight exposure seems to be directly correlated to heart health. So it's really interesting to think about. But back to this, this endothelial glycocalyx, you know, you described how it's like this, this seaweed that's protective of the vessel, but is there a way to actually test the health of your glycocalyx? Like, is, is there some kind of a blood panel or a, a, a medical imaging panel that would allow you to see how healthy your glycocalyx is? Yeah, unfortunately, there really is not a way to determine that. And of course, you know, you're familiar with salivary nitric oxide testing, and we can dive into that a little bit. And I think that's our best uh, surrogate marker at this time. Uh, I think, huh. you know, we, if, if it was if it was looked at, we can probably correlate carotid intima media uh, thickness and probably use that as a surrogate marker for endothelial, um, uh, endothelial function and for the, for the size of the glycocalyx. But... Outside of that, again, you got it's 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 such an infinitely small uh, area uh, that it really is the guise of electron microscopy, which invariably is going to come from dead, you know, processed, you know, material uh, in order to to assess that. Yeah, those salivary nitric oxide tests are pretty cool. I interviewed Dr. Nathan Bryan about nitric oxide a few years ago. And after I did, he was like, well, you want to, you can, you can test it. And he sent me some sublingual nitric oxide tablets, which are amazing. I mean, like I've used Viagra before and I've also dissolved those tablets in my mouth. And, you know, for something, you know, for a test, like let's say for sexual performance, a couple of those nitric oxide tablets just dissolved in your mouth seem to induce the, the same type of erectile benefits as something like Viagra. So, and so that's a pretty good clue that they're doing something as far as, vasodilation and the reduction in the resistance of blood flow and an increase in nitric oxide when you consume them. But he also sent me those little test strips. I think they were, they were salivary, like you mentioned in the mouth and they turn a different color based on the amount of nitric oxide that you produce. So are, am I thinking of the same thing? Yeah, no, that's definitely what it is. And let me tell you a little story. So Viagra was not invented as an ED drug and uh, Viagra was supposed to be a blood pressure lowering drug and a drug for angina. So what happened was, was that the pharmaceutical companies know that increasing nitric oxide would be beneficial and potentially would be a new blood pressure drug. Raise nitric oxide, lower blood pressure. Obviously, we'll talk about ways to do that naturally. But the pharmaceutical company, Pfizer, they're doing the studies on this uh, new pharmaceutical, and they find that it's lowering blood pressure uh, in men and women. But then they also find that the men have this particular interesting side effect. And some women had it as well, as far as littoral enlargement and, um, uh, and blood flow, and therefore better uh, orgasm for the female. But in the men in particular, they noticed this very interesting thing where the men were, you know, they're looking for side effects, right? You know, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, cough, you know, infections, you know, whatever. But the men start checking off this box for better erectile function. So Pfizer says, who cares about another, another blood pressure drug, a new blood pressure drug, an anti-anginal drug? We've got Viagra, and that's how Viagra was born. But you're right. Men are not deficient in Viagra. They're deficient in the things that would increase nitric oxide naturally. But then further to segue about pharma, when I was in the late 1990s, uh, and, and, you know, with, uh, with some of my medical residency buddies and we're in the doctor's 
you know, lounge and the reps for Pfizer would come in and they would just throw Viagra all over the table. And, you know, they're like, here, guys, you know, go try it out, go do your thing, you know, see what happens. And of course, you know, start prescribing it for patients. So it really was, uh, I mean, I mean, the creation of a multi, multi, you know, hundred billion dollar drug, you know, many times over. And there's different options. And again, I'm not, I'm not opposed to the use of those pharmaceuticals for a whole variety of measures. But again, pharma should always come at the end of the game, not at the beginning. The beginning of the game is all the things that we talk about. Eat well, live well, think well, and the test don't guess, and the biohacking strategies, evidence-based supplements. This is a time and a place for modern medicine. God bless the men and women who, I'm not here to trash them, but they got, you know, the, you know, the men and women who work in emergency and trauma, uh, but for everything else, medicine's a total failure. If you're in your 30s or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different newly discovered plant-derived ingredients that when expertly combined can help to reduce senescent cells. And the folks at Neurohacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months. And you only use it twice a month, six capsules twice a month. Super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning. Then I set it and forget it for a month, nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try, try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, Backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee and that code Ben Senna will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash Ben Senna. I don't think it's any secret that I'm not a huge fan of big, clunky New Year's resolutions. Why? Because they usually rely on willpower. And willpower is a tool of your conscious mind. That controls just like 2 to 4% of your daily actions. Your habits, whether good or bad, in fitness or nutrition or productivity and beyond, they're all deeply ingrained, and that creates an internal thermostat that keeps you stuck in your current situation. Well, the good news is you're not alone. I've worked with thousands of clients who were all trying the right things but felt stuck and realized their willpower was not what helped them get out of their scenario. Instead, they needed direction, guidance, accountability, a plan, a program, and a big why, and I provide all of that with my revolutionary coaching programs. I have retooled the coaching programs. We have amazing options for you in our brand new elite programs from bengreenfieldlife.com. So you can join now and redefine your reality with a limited time offer of 40% off of your first month of coaching. Here's how. Go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash elite for a personalized coach set up perfectly for you to achieve any goal you want safely, quickly, and effectively. BenGreenfieldLife.com forward slash E-L-I-T-E. And I'll see you on the inside. And I realize we're bouncing all over the place here. And don't, don't worry, I got some stuff I want to come back to about the glycocalyx. But to stay on this topic of nitric oxide, you know, I've always had better results with nitric oxide supplements, whether it's beet powder or these dissolvable nit nitric oxide uh, tablets, 
Um, I've even chewed, I don't know if I should be doing this, but I've chewed on the Calroy one, the, the Vasconox Calroy one for nitric oxide. I feel like I get a better release when I'm chewing or dissolving nitric oxide precursors in my mouth. Now, this is interesting because I think it was Dr. Nathan Bryan when I interviewed him who talked about how people who use mouthwash regularly or who nuke the biome in their mouth don't have the bacteria present in the mouth that would allow for the conversion of nitric oxide precursors from foods like arugula or beetroot, et cetera, to be able to be converted into nitric oxide in the body. And so I think the same thing has been said for, I don't know if it's Dr. Brian who said this, but I think fluoridated toothpaste was another one that you want to be careful with. But is there something to this idea of when you're using something um, even Viagra, for example, like the dissolvable trochies, not necessarily Viagra, but sildenafil or tadalafil or the active ingredient in Viagra seems to work best when you dissolve it in your mouth. So what's, what's going on as far as, you know, and this might just be myth or my own perception, but a better response to nitric oxide supplements or pharmaceuticals when you dissolve them in your mouth? Yeah, well, I mean, kind of two different things right there. And again, your understanding of that is, is totally spot on. And yeah, when you destroy the gut, the oral microbiome, the gut microbiome, all bets are off on all this stuff. So we rely on the oral microbiome in order to turn food-based nitrate into nitrite. And if you're deficient there, what's so beneficial about the, the Vasconox product is that it is potassium nitrite. So you, you're kind of bypassing the, that one step of oral conversion nitrate into nitrite. In addition, you're getting all the potassium, which has an infinite number of body, you know, body benefits. We always talk about magnesium and other supplements. We invariably forget about potassium and the importance thereof. And actually, Vasconox is a great source of, of potassium inside the potassium nitrite. So that's going to be beneficial there. And then this also, it's very important to have the acidic stomach in order to convert the nitrite into nitric oxide and therefore absorb. Now, why don't people have acidic stomachs? For all the reasons that you already know why people have low stomach acid levels from all the different pharmaceuticals, from the fluoride that inhibits the uh, the, the proton pump, uh, from high chlorine, from the antibiotics. I mean, I mean, so many different things that destroy all of that. And invariably, um, uh, you know, having a good oral microbiome, not using mouthwash, all the, all the things that we do inside of Eat Well, Live Well, Think Well, everything helps everything. Now, in the case of sildenafil, what the, the trochies would do is that it just allows for faster absorption. It's not going to work. For, it's not better efficacy, but it's going to be potentially quicker okay. because that doesn't yeah. require any kind of activation process. It purely is a, a bioavailability. And, and, and I think a lot of ways it's a marketing ploy, right? Because nobody wants to take Viagra an hour before sexual activity. They want to take it like immediately and then be sexually active. Um, but, um, you know, I, I mean, listen, I, I do want to you know, say one comment to everybody uh, as it relates to, you know, the, the stress that everybody, everyone is under and sexual, you know, libido and, and erectile function, that it is much, it is much more likely to be a brain issue as opposed to a circulation blood flow issue. The brain has to yeah, be optimized in a variety of ways. When, you know, when you're metaphorically getting chased by a tiger, right? In our paleo days, we're getting chased by a tiger. You don't stop to check out the scenery. You don't check, stop to check out the beautiful you know, woman when you're running away from a tiger because those people have been naturally selected to be dead. They were eaten by the tiger. 
when you are running constantly on this, you know, crazy stress life that everybody lives, geopolitical issues, when's the next pandemic, what's going on with my job, this, that, all these things that are going on in our lives, constant stress, high sympathetic tone equals no libido, no erectile function. Why is sex always better on the weekend, on vacation? Stress levels tend to be down. Focus, focus on that as opposed to what's the next kind of uh, you know way to hack the system because you got to you got to fix this system up top first. Yeah, nature doesn't want you to bring babies into the world in times of stress and famine. It's interesting. There's even uh, studies that have shown a link between stress and impaired uh, sperm motility and fertility. So there's definitely something to that. And by the way, for those of you concerned that you can't use your precious mouthwash anymore, and you're going to have dragon breath. You know, coconut oil pulling. I use ozone oil with a little bit of peppermint oil in it for oil pulling in the morning. I put a little silver spray in there too to clean out the mouth. Like there are ways that you can have a clean mouth, still support the oral biome and not necessarily be using the the nitric oxide crushing mouthwash. So, you know, it's, it's interesting with the, uh, the, uh, Vasconox, this Calroy product, you mentioned you don't need to chew it because it bypasses the necessary conversion in the mouth. What else is in that stuff? Because it seems to work really well for blood flow. Well, you know, they did add in some fantastic nutrients. So, you know, they're supplying some of the B vitamins. They're supplying magnesium in there, the potassium that's in there. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of like this multi, uh, you know, mineral multivitamin product. And in addition, they've got, you know, they've got the beetroot in there. They've got some other of these nitrate-based uh, precursors. So it really is phenomenal in that sense. And it's it's very unique. And, you know, listen, calorie has been around for, you know, for 20 years. They've been looking at this product. It's the most studied uh, product. Uh, they've got the research uh, on this. And again, the clinical efficacy, I think there's, you know, like anything, there's always me too products that are out there. But I think there's a lot of people, a lot of, you know, doctors have been on these calls. I've been at these conferences, you know, the people that are there and they're seeing really fantastic results. But ultimately, it's not kind of voodoo medicine. It's just really common sense that there, there's, there's tons of literature about, you know, potassium nitrite uh, supplements and, and improving nitric oxide and improving blood, uh, you know, blood pressure. It's in the literature in multiple different studies. So that's not even a, a question. And then it's a clean product. It's, it's uh, you know, there's not a bunch of other garbage that's typically thrown into other supplements. So I think it's really beneficial in, in that arena. You know, the human body real quick, you know, makes nitric oxide in several different ways. And one is the food-based nitrates, as you mentioned, the beetroot and the arugula and the green leafies. Uh, and then also it's going to make nitrate, uh, you know, what uh, that's going to be the nitrate and that's relies on the oral microbiome. And the, the other is the amino acid sequence using nitric oxide synthase of which people can suffer from genetic SNPs and whatnot, but nitric oxide synthase or synthesizes the nitric oxide, and those are amino acids, L-arginine, L-citrulline. I like to combine that with L-taurine. And then something that inhibits the breakdown of nitric oxide is grapeseed extract. So you often find grapeseed extract in some of these nitric oxide uh, boosting products as well. And then the fourth thing I would say, listen, my, 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 uh, my epiphany moment was created by a chiropractor. Do I have any evidence that chiropractic helps to increase nitric oxide levels? Uh, I don't, but I will say that chiropractic is always part of our plan at Natural Heart Doctor. Everybody has to be under chiropractic care. And invariably, we see people who follow the entire program, improve nitric oxide, better blood flow, better libido, better erectile function, and, and lower heart attack risk and everything else. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the ingredient label for this Vasconoff stuff. Like you mentioned, it's got the potassium nitrate in it and then some vitamins, but then black garlic, beetroot, black currant, bilberry, raspberry, blue honeysuckle, which I wasn't that familiar with, and blueberry extract. So it's a lot of stuff. Kind of begs the question because some people like they'll limit their red light therapy because they don't want to create excess reactive oxygen species from excess stimulation of nitric oxide synthase. And there's this idea that too much nitric oxide could potentially be a bad thing as far as potential for free radical production. Do you ever get worried about too much nitric oxide? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I think that it is a, theor a theoretical you know, possibility and not even theoretical. I mean, I think there's evidence to that. But ultimately what we do is, right, we test, don't guess. So check your peroxide levels, check your lipid peroxides in urine, check oxidized LDL, check myeloperoxidase. And I can't say that out of, I mean, I've got, I've got hundreds and hundreds of people who, you know, take the products from Calroy and we're just seeing, we're not seeing those excess levels of oxidative stress uh, demonstrably measured, you know, so, uh, and I think it's very important and, and certainly much more important than measuring total cholesterol, other lipid particles, uh, and, and we can certainly talk about those, but oxidized LDL is a very, very, very important marker to assess. If it's elevated, you better figure out where that excess uh, oxidative stress is coming from. But ultimately, I don't think it's coming from too much beetroot powder, you know, or somebody's having, you know, black garlic and garlic is a phenomenal source of sulfur, yeah. onions, yeah. Uh, eggs. I, I don't think it's coming from those areas, Ben. And I think also as you support the natural, you know, redox mechanisms of the body, you're not going to see that excess uh, oxidative stress. Yeah, it's interesting. The the idea of testing oxidative stress. Is there, you mentioned the lipid peroxide urinary panel. Is there like a good at home at a glance test that people could get without having to drive to the lab to measure oxidative stress? If you wanted to kind of like run your own N equals one experiment on your use of nitric oxide supplements or red light therapy or things like that. I'm not aware of any company that's doing that at home. You know, we, uh, when we test our levels, it's uh, typically done through a lab testing company where somebody uh, gets the kit. It could be performed at home. We use in our office, for example, we do blood and urine testing uh, in the office and collect the sample there, but I'm not, I'm not aware of that as a, uh, as a test for that. And I think it's only part of the process, but it could be something that, yeah, could potentially be checked uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and see what your, uh, you know, uh, uh, lipid peroxides coming out in the urine. That'd be a very, very uh, novel idea. Yeah. When you were talking about sulfur and the role that sulfur plays in the support of the endothelial glycocalyx, I was thinking about this researcher who I've heard talk before, Stephanie Seneff. And she's super anti-Monsanto, glyphosate, pesticide, herbicide, et cetera. But she talks about how it strips sulfur from the body. And that can result in a leaky gut, potential cardiovascular damage, et cetera. And I'm curious if you think that plays a role, like exposure to herbicides, pesticides, glyphosate, et cetera, when it comes particularly to this issue with sulfur, if you've heard of Dr. Seneff and some of the stuff she talks about. I've definitely heard of Dr. Uh, Seneff and uh, Anthony Samsel. You know, they did a lot of the uh, um, you know, research uh, and a lot of the theory, but there really hasn't been a lot of people who've taken up that mantle, uh, you know, with them on some of their hypotheses of how coronary artery disease is really an endogenous uh, sulfur deficiency and really a focal sulfur deficiency that, uh, that ultimately would lead to coronary artery disease. Uh, big fan of her work, you know, regarding glyphosate. 
uh, and all the issues surrounding that, of course. And we test people's glyphosate levels uh, in urine, and it's really just catastrophic. And what's crazy about some of those lab testing companies, right, is that they talk about kind of like normal levels, moderate and, and high level exposure. The normal level of glyphosate in the human body is 0.00. This didn't exist before 1960. Uh, it is a horrific, horrific poison, uh, likely as a, a many different mechanisms. But one thing as it relates to blood vessel flow is that it's kind of like an analog or a mimic to glycine, which is a critically important nutrient, including in the form amino acid, including in the formation of glutathione, one of the body's main you know, detox uh, uh, molecules, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. So uh, it, it's kind of interesting. And in ho- hopefully over the next 10 years, you know, we get a lot more research that comes out about that. But uh, yeah, I credit Stephanie Seneff uh, and, and the importance of sulfur. And that's why, again, animal-based foods are the healthiest foods on the planet. Best by available sources of, of sulfur are going to be, especially, you know, liver, uh, kidney, heart, uh, eating seafood, and then those, you know, you know, the brassica vegetables are a good source of sulfur, eggs, of course, and then the onions and garlic, some of those classic uh, health foods, but sulfur. And then yeah. uh, I learned about this from Dr. Jack Cruz years ago as he was drinking his Pellegrino water. And he uh, stated that Pellegrino water is the single best water source of sulfur. I think it's really just embracing the sulfur as, as far as its health and benefits. Uh, and again, what it does to the glycocalyx, what it does for glutathione production and so on. Yeah, you're speaking my language. I had sous vide kidney with a little uh, bone marrow butter that I infused with garlic and onion last night for dinner. So I had a nice sulfurous meal last night for dinner and a beetroot salad. So I was getting my beet and beetroot salad. So I was getting my uh, beets as well for the nitric oxide. It's interesting when I'm looking at the label of this arteriocell stuff, it obviously doesn't have liver and kidney in it. There's a lot of sulfurous precursors in there like onion and garlic and asparagus but it's really interesting because you were talking about how the glycocalyx is kind of like seaweed. And I noticed on the label, the top ingredient is green seaweed extract. Is that because that's a source of sulfur or sulfur support? You know, it's uh, it is interesting how like the two of them go together because it really is like this seaweed like layer that's floating back and forth. Uh, and, and just, yeah, the seaweed just kind of happened, you know, to, to, to be a phenomenal source. And again, they're getting, they're the only ones who get this green seaweed uh, extract, you know, that's very high in this particular uh, molecule of remnant sulfate. Uh, and it is just, it is the best source. Nobody else has it. But it was my kind of connection as I learned about this several years ago that it was like the seaweed layer and the fact that it comes from seaweed, I think, is really interesting. And maybe in some kind of way, it's just telling us like that is really nature's solution to that particular area. Does any of that stuff have any impact, the the two Calroy products on plaque or calcium scan or calcium scan scores? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, so, the, you know, we talked a lot about Vasconox. Uh, which works perfectly alone or in combination for anybody and, and everyone concerned about cardiovascular issues, which is the number one killer in the world. So uh, Arteriosil was the first product I had a lot of experience uh, with. And that is, again, that's going to be that that seaweed uh, you know, uh, extract formulation, again, with some other nutrients in there that all support the glycocalyx. And what we saw from my friend and mentor, Dr. Mark Houston, I was a contributor on his book of integrative cardiology, which is exciting to see uh, integrative cardiology in textbook form going into medical school. It was very exciting to see that. And I was a contributing author uh, in that textbook. And in that sense, he does a blood pressure trial 
uh, on Arteracil, and it shows blood pressure reduction, particularly in the diastolic fashion of 10 points, which is, which is, which is great. Uh, it just improved uh, blood vessel health, circulation, the glycocalyx, and then ultimately as it related uh, to, uh, to the ability to potentially decrease plaque formation, and they had uh, some data, uh, again, as it relates you know, to that as well, uh, again, and I personally think that anybody. Yeah, but what about plaque reversal? What about plaque reversal? Like not just slowing down formation, but what if somebody has a high calcium scan score? Yeah, and, and again, I don't want to. I don't want to speak uh, out of uh, you know. Again, maybe what what they are allowed. I don't want to make any claims on behalf of them. That's for sure. Yeah, I get it. But I will tell you that when I when I you when I see someone Ben and they come in with coronary artery calcification, they come in with a scan that shows it's high. And again, so I'll, I'll say it again, and we, you and I could talk about this, an anti-CT scan. But that being said, if you, if you do have coronary artery disease, I think that Arteracil and Vasconox, but certainly Arteracil is the perfect product for that particular arena. And I do believe that it reverses plaque, not only in the coronary anatomy, but also in the carotid and, and peripherally. And I tell you, we see a lot of plaque reversal, a lot of plaque stabilization, uh, um, hardening of that plaque. So turning it from that soft plaque that's uh, prone to rupture uh, into, into the hard plaque. But it's definitely part of anybody with coronary artery uh, disease, coronary artery calcification. And then also I'll throw one more thing too. A lot, there's a lot of people out there that have heart rhythm disorders such as atrial fibrillation, uh, that put them at excess stroke risk. And again, I'm not making any claims on behalf of the company. Uh, they're not indicated for this, but I personally, any patient of mine with atrial fibrillation uh, is going to be on arteriosil because as we think of clot formation in the left atrium, in the left atrial appendage, in somebody with atrial fibrillation, and those people are more prone to clotting, if we make that area like Teflon, if we make it like the outside of a fish, mm. we're not going to have the clot formation that could potentially embolize. So it's part of the therapies that I use. And arteriosil, I believe, is perfectly safe in people who are taking pharmaceutical anticoagulants. Uh, unlike what I have someone on natokinase, in addition to a pharmaceutical, uh, I, I don't believe that that's necessary and could be potentially dangerous. You mean combining natokinase with some other blood coagulant could be dangerous? Yeah, so something like Eliquis. Uh, yeah, so Eliquis, Pradaxa, Xarelto, those, and certainly Warfarin, Coumadin. Uh, in that scenario, I would not use the combination thereof. Uh, I would use either or. And I think in a lot of people, based on their risk of a thromboembolic event in atrial fibrillation or people with previous stroke history, I think there's opportunities for conversations, you know, for those people as far as like, what's the best natural holistic approach to uh, stroke prevention? Why are you so anti-CT scan, man? Uh, I'm, I'm anti, uh, two things. I mean, I'm anti-radiation. I'm anti-radiation. I think ra all radiation leads to coronary artery disease, cancer, and dementia. Number two, I, you know, radiation, um, we have to say any test that we do, Ben, and you know this as well as I do, any test that we do, how is it going to change our strategies? So if someone was to say, okay, if you've got a lot of coronary calcification or some coronary calcification, uh, you're going to go on a statin drug. Uh, if your arteries have no calcification, then no statin drug. 
you know, that that theory could be, you know, utilized. But how how do your results, Ben, change what happened to you? So if you do a mild coronary calcification, again, I don't know, you know, what your score was or what your scan was. Um, you know, I, 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 is, is, it, is it causing you to do a lot more biohacking and supplements in that arena? Maybe it did for you. Yeah. But I would say, listen, based on laboratory. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my logic, Jack. Like, basically, if I do a CT scan and I find out that I have a high amount of plaque, then that might influence my lifestyle decisions pretty significantly in terms of like how much high intensity exercise that I might be doing, what type of supplements that I may or may not start on, uh, whether or not I might consider medications to assist with that plaque removal. And like the way I think about it is, I've seen a lot of people, you've, you've obviously seen like hundreds of thousands more people than I have. You look at a lot more labs, but I've seen a lot of people with pretty good lipid panels who will come back with calcium scan scores or like this new clearly AI scan score with plaque at like 400 plus, sometimes stable, sometimes unstable. And I get kind of concerned about folks like that going out and doing an Ironman triathlon or not paying attention to you know, their mineral status, their sauna habits, their hydration, their use of some of the products that we talked about. I feel like if it's high, you'd probably go out of your way to almost like baby your heart a little bit more and engage in lifestyle and nutrition practices that would help to manage that plaque and that calcium. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that like the definition of a widow maker when that stuff breaks loose? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there in, in what you just said. And ultimately, it's just a matter of do, do we need that information in addition to all the extensive lab work that we do? As you mentioned, all the advanced lipids, all the advanced markers of oxidative stress and inflammation and homocysteine and LP little a and looking at advanced cardiometabolics, you know, hemoglobin A1C and insulin levels, looking uh, at all the intracellular vitamins and minerals. And we test people, for example, for intracellular uh, nutrients, including vitamin K2. And if K2 is low inside of the cells, that's the thing we need to do to increase K2 inside of the cells. We can measure that objectively. We look at the markers of leaky gut, intestinal hyperpermeability, and then all the different toxins, uh, including mold mycotoxins, which is a whole nother lecture, which I think is critically, critically, critically important to get people to understand if they're living in mold or not. And then by taking all of that data and then now trying to make them into a better, healthier version of themselves, I think that's the strategy. And this sequentially following by CT, they'll claim it's not a lot of radiation. It's plenty of radiation. We don't need that excess radiation. It's not a good test to follow. By the way, statin drugs increase the rate of coronary calcification. So if you're on statin drugs, this is not, this is not uh, you know, holistic thinking. This is not integrative. This is fact. Statin drugs increase the rate of coronary calcification, so you should not take do a CT scan and then expect a, a lower result after being on statin drugs. That's not the case. Would the increase in coronary calcification from statin drugs be an increase that would be over and above what you might experience if you had a high calcium or plaque score? Meaning, like, if I have high calcium or high plaque and I take a statin, then would the decreased amount of plaque that occurs as a result of me taking that statin 
outpace any amount of coronary calcification that would occur as a result of me taking that statin. So statin drugs increase the plaque and they increase the coronary calcification. What the statins, you know, that, that much we know. Maybe the plaque part could be, could be debated back and forth, but the calcification process, certainly not. The question is, is that do, if someone takes a statin drug, does it meaningfully reduce their chances of heart attack, stroke, and dying? And I would say no. I would say that the, the most, recent, most recent meta-analysis for primary prevention and statin use, this was reported in JAMA back in 2022, that statin users enjoyed a 0.2 uh, for primary prevention, meaning they've never had a stroke or a stent or, or you know, a heart attack. For primary prevention, the, life ex- the mortality reduction was 0.2% on an annual basis. It was under 0.2%. Um, for for heart attacks and and almost like almost non-existent for for stroke, the data gets a little bit better for secondary prevention. And Ben, you know, you and I work in the world of hey, I don't want I don't want to reduce my heart attack risk from three percent, you know, to two point eight percent. I want to reduce it to zero percent or as close to zero percent as possible. We know medicine does not offer that, uh, and I think in our in our arena we come pretty darn close. But the way to follow that is not with CT scans. Uh, the way to follow it, I believe, is with most advanced lab testing in the world. We, we don't need to radiate ourselves to prove it. And I think also, Ben, one, one final thought on that is that I've talked to so many different people, and here was the process. They paid for their own CT scan because insurance companies know that it's a waste of time and a waste of money, so they're not going to pay for it. So they pay for their own CT scan, and now they've got coronary calcification. They wind up at the doctor's office. The cardiologist puts them on statin drugs, and they run a stress test. And the stress test shows a little bit of an abnormality. And then they go for an angiogram. And the angiogram has a questionable lesion. And now they wind up with two stents. And they're on all these different pharmaceuticals. When they never had symptoms. Yeah. They never had symptoms. So now yeah, you took I see, someone. I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it, and it's just, yeah. it's just you, know, it, it, you know, Ben, one more thing. Let me finalize this. You know, I was walking around. And, and again, you know, you're, you're totally geek out on, on biohacking and, and early detection and all this stuff. So I'm walking past this place that orders total body MRI for $650. So $650, and they they put it under the guise of prevention. You don't prevent anything with that. It could be early detection, but if you MRI a a body, you're going to find tons of stuff with the radiologist love. We found a nodule here. Let's ultrasound it. Let's CT it. Let's follow it. Let's follow it. Let's follow it. And as they follow this stuff over time with radiation-based technology, what they found were this benign thyroid nodule, but they turned it into cancer, but they'll say, it's a good thing we kept checking because we found your cancer. It's, you know, and I don't have to tell you this, when you look at everything in this world under the lens of money and financials, uh, you will uncover a lot of truth. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right about that. I w- I would still like to see some of the statin data that you cited broken out between increased longevity in people who had like high plaque scores or high amount of calcification and on a statin versus those who didn't. I don't I don't think that 2022 study broke broke apart the differences between those two groups. But b- back to the CT scan, I mean, I've done a couple. I always take a lot of iodine afterwards because it's the only thing I've seen evidence behind for soaking up some of the radiative damage. But of the list of tests that you kind of went through that you do as part of your practice, and I'll link to your book in the show notes at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Wolfson, 
because I know a lot of people might want to take a deeper dive into those tests. Do any of those give you like a pretty good clue about plaque accumulation? Well, I think, you know, when you have inflammation, oxidative stress, when you have LP little a, when you have depletion of these intracellular vitamins and, and nutrients, uh, you're, you're much more likely going to have plaque or coronary calcification and, and everything else, really, because the beauty of everything that we do uh, with the blood work is that it's going to tell us, well, again, you know, because of this, you're at increased cardiac risk, you're at increased cancer risk, uh, increased stroke risk and, and uh, increased dementia risk and all these other things that the advanced testing does. And it's not invasive and and therefore uh, not dangerous uh, to, you know, to your point, though, as far as the. Uh, you know, statin drugs and breaking down that data. Again, you know, you could say, okay, listen, even in the people that have known coronary artery disease, have known uh, that they've had cardiac events, the secondary prevention statin data is just very underwhelming. And, uh, you know, in, in that scenario, again, you're talking about less than 1% benefit on an annual basis. And it leaves a lot of people with false sense of security. Hey, eat whatever you want, live however you want, just take this statin drug and you'll be good to go. And that's just not the case. And this isn't even talking about yeah. the side effect yeah. profile. It's, it's, like, it's like giving a diabetic a bag of Doritos and an insulin syringe. You know, I, I, I get what you're saying with that. What, what about though, um, you know, as far as testing, there's one company called Preventia that has a heart panel, H-A-R-T. It's apparently like a protein marker panel that does a pretty good job predicting uh uh, high calcium score or plaque accumulation. Are you familiar with that test at all or any of these blood biomarker tests that kind of allow you to do a blood test to do what a CT scan might, but without the radiation? Yeah, I'm familiar with those, but I, you know, Ben, I make this comment all the time. Like it's really easy to be a conventional cardiologist, right? That career was super simple. Someone comes in, someone's got concerns. Here's your pharmaceuticals. Here's the test that we're going to do. And I'm going to make a lot of money off those tests. Life is real simple. You get into our arena, right? And you're talking about food and you're talking about lifestyle and you're talking about thought processes and you're talking about a zillion different types of tests and a million different types of supplements and, you know, just infinite number of biohacking strategies, right? That part's difficult. Uh, but in general, I think that when we look at those markers of inflammation, oxidative stress, you know, so HSCRP, uh, LPPLA2, uh, the myeloperoxidase, the OxLDL, the lipid peroxides, we can get a lot of great information based on all those things. Looking at homocysteine, uh, you know, again, back to the mold mycotoxins, I've got, I've done presentations, I've got slides, Ben, I've got a slide, 14 different uh, mechanisms of mycotoxin cardiovascular toxicity from LDL receptor dysfunction to autonomic, uh, 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 impaired autonomic function, coagulation disorders, destruction of gut microbiome, intestinal permeability, uh, inflammation, wow. stress, just from mold mycotoxins. Um, I would implore you, if you haven't uh, talked to people about the mold mycotoxin story, big, big, big problem. I mean, it's, and it's, oh, yeah. I've talked about it a little bit. Yeah. What, what do we, what do you do about mycotoxins, by the way? What's your approach, your strategy with the patient? Well, I mean, again, you got to find the source of it in, in someone's home and, and either remediate it or move out of it. I mean, but this is mentioned in the book of Leviticus. Um, uh, in Leviticus, they describe, and this is 3,500 years ago, you know, written by Moses. So in the book of Leviticus, they talk about all the problems related to living in a mold contaminated home. And then they give you strategies of how to remediate it. And if mold is therefore still growing, 
They tell you to break down the components of the home on your land and move them to a significant distance away so you are no longer exposed. It is an area. It is an, <laughs> wow. Well, God, well God, God knew what was up. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. Yeah. So like what if you knew? What if you nuked your home, but it's still in your body, though? What do you do about that? Well, eventually they'll come out of your body, but I do think there are some good evidence-based binders. And a lot of those binders really come from the animal industry because they feed the animal mold-contaminated grains. And those, and those ranchers are not going to turn them into grass-fed animals. They're going to continue to feed a mold-contaminated grain, but they're going to look for some strategies to uh, sop up or bind up those mold mycotoxins. And the, there's evidence of activated charcoal, uh, bentonite clay, uh, in that area. So a lot of those, you know, I, I use in particular, I use a lot of fulvic and humic acid as some of those binders Oh yeah, uh, and anything that helps to crank up glutathione, glutathione helps. And back to your point about sauna, you know, I mean, uh, you, you and I are both uh, big advocates of sauna, the data on sauna, especially the good old fashioned sweat boxes from Finland on what that does to lower mortality. It's astro, you know, it, it, it's, it's beautifully beneficial, but then you add in the infrared component and what infrared does for the detox mechanisms uh, to help us detox uh, the the mold mycotoxins is is critical, but that's a huge area that people need to look at. And the number of cardiologists who understand mold mycotoxicity and cardiovascular disease, uh, you, you may be only you may be talking to the only guy who gets it, but it's a big one. It's a real big one. Yeah, yeah. You don't hear cardiologists talking about that. I recently, and this is probably due to my travel and the number of hotels and Airbnbs that I stay in, but I tested somewhat elevated for five different urinary mycotoxins. I'm using a strategy now very similar to you, what you just described. I've been doing deep sauna sweats, actually usually with the Calroy nitric oxide prior for the blood flow, uh, but with a binder, uh, typically an hour or so before. I've been using the Quicksilver Scientific charcoal binder, and then also I've been doing that prior to bed uh, along with a higher intake of glutathione and N-acetylcysteine to help to clear some of those mycotoxins out of the body. So... I've been focusing on that a little bit myself. And, you know, oddly enough, I've felt like my bowel function and my brain function has improved remarkably in the past couple of months since starting into that. So, yeah, it's it's, it's something that I'm glad you brought up because a lot of people don't realize the, the link between that and heart disease. Yeah, let me let me just kind of add a little bit to that just so everyone understands what the mold mycotoxins are. Right, So mold in an environment releases its army, its Navy, Air Force, Marines. Those are mycotoxins. There's other VOCs that you can smell, right? You know, that musty smell of your of your grandparents' home, that was mold. And huh. the, the mycotoxins, they're there as a survival mechanism by the mold. It wants to kill off other things in its environment because it wants to survive. It's been around here a long time. So in that uh, arena, well, that was how penicillin was first discovered. Penicillin is a mold mycotoxin and uh, you know, Fleming is in his lab. He sees that mold mycotoxins, mold's growing in his Petri dish. It's killing off his bacteria. So pharma eventually turns that into penicillin. Another famous one is mycophenolic acid. And we test people's levels of mycophenolic acid. It's very high in so many people. And it's an environmental mold mycotoxin. Mycophenolic acid was discovered in 1933 as an immunosuppressant. So wouldn't you know, eventually big pharma puts it in a capsule. And now that is called Cellcept. Cellcept is such a powerful immunosuppressant. It's what they give to people who get an organ transplant. You get a new wow. heart, new liver, new kidney, and now you take Cellcept to prevent organ transplant rejection. All it is, Ben, is a mold mycotoxin in a capsule. This is powerful stuff. So what does it mean 
to the immune system and, and all of the things that the immune system polices, whether it's cardiovascular disease, uh, cancer, COVID, anything else you think of, what the immune system is doing to police it. And if you're living in mycophenolic acid, and it's not personal by the mold, I guess, as far as I know, mold doesn't have the consciousness to decide it wants to kill humans. It just wants to survive. So we talk about all these different environmental toxins in our world, right? We talk about asbestos and mercury and lead and arsenic and EMF. None of them have the deliberate intent to injure. Mold does. Hmm. Yeah, I think it might be a living organism, man. You hear about that rhizomal network that's the world's largest living organism, or at least planet Earth's largest living organism underneath the ground. So you never know. It could be one giant avatar planet and all this mold has it out for us like a like an alien. That cell step stuff you talked about, is that something that you use in your practice? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, so that's, that's going to be used in a prescription basis. Uh, you know, typically it'll be from, you know, people again, in, you know, it's used in the cancer space, in the rheumatologic space, it'll be used for people with severe, uh, you know, systemic lupus erythematosus, uh, rheumatoid, uh, mixed collagen, vascular diseases, and in those organ transplant uh, people. But in no way, shape or form do I think that it is therapeutic, uh, certainly from a holistic standpoint. Okay, got it. What about these uh, alternatives to statins that some people who are genetic non-responders to a statin might use? I think they're sometimes considered to be the a bigger gun for things like plaque. And that's these PCSK9 inhibitors. What do you think of those? Well, PCSK9 inhibitors, yeah. So what they do is, is that they inhibit the breakdown of LDL receptors. So the LDL receptors are these catcher's mitts uh, that are on the liver. And they're responsible for clearing out old LDL particles and, of course, HDL particles and all the other particles that are floating around. So the LDL receptor is critical. Statin drugs inhibit the production of, of cholesterol. But the production of cholesterol is, is not the problem. Nobody is a hyper producer of cholesterol, uh, but they do not clear LDL particles out. And that's a, a, an issue with the LDL receptor. And again, that goes into so many different areas about how do we improve our LDL receptor uh, function. Berberine actually is a natural PCSK9 inhibitor. And I do enjoy using that, uh, you know, berberine for, I mean, many other purposes, but berberine does have that role in that arena. Uh, in conclusion, though, this Repatha was the first PCSK9 inhibitor studied, and that data was released after it's been on the market, and, and that's released in 2018, New England Journal of Medicine. And what they found, Ben, is that Repatha, as a very, very, very expensive injectable, dramatically reduced lipid levels. And now everybody in the study was on statin drugs and typical cardiac therapy, and half the group got Repatha, half the group got uh, placebo. Repatha, again, is this uh, antibody that prevents the breakdown of, uh, of uh, PCSK9 and therefore increases LDL receptors. So again, here's what they found. It decreased heart attack risk in a couple of years by a little. It decreased stroke risk in a couple of years by a little over and above statin drug alone. But what they found non-significantly, a non-significant value, but get this, Ben, in the placebo group, 428 people died. In the Repatha group, 444 people died. So more people died, although not statistically significant, in the Repatha group. Who would ever want to take a drug where potentially more people die? Not me. Yeah. So... 
Um, yeah. And, and, and that have drug done a, is have never done covered a study by insurance. Like that in people, have they ever done a study like that with the PCSK9 inhibitor in people with a lot of plaque versus people who don't have very much and seeing if there's a difference between the two groups? Um, you know uh, not that I've ever seen it. And they've really never studied Repatha alone. It's always been studied in people who are on statin drugs. So the question is, is if someone's intolerant to statin, uh, you know, could they take Repatha? Will it reduce numbers down dramatically? But will it change outcomes? That's what we always want to know is about the outcome data. I can remove your liver, Ben, and your lipids will drop precipitously and you'll die. It's not going to improve your outcome. So what we want to do is make sure, again, that if we do this particular therapy, is it going to have any benefits? And Repatha, for the expense of what it is, and really it's just another, you know, Band-Aid approach. And it gives people this false sense of security, and it's a, it's a problem. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I know we're getting close to time, but is there a particular diet that you find yourself repeatedly recommending in your clinic? Because I know some people are super into carnivore I know you've had a history in the, the paleo industry. A lot of times from an epidemiological standpoint, you'll see the Mediterranean diet, some semblance of that recommended. But do you find yourself repeatedly returning to a certain diet that you favor for your patients? Well, you know, again, patients years ago, they started calling me the paleo cardiologist. Hunter-gatherer ancestral, uh, I think, is the way to go. I think the problem with carnivore is that, uh, number one, a lot of the carnivore gurus, they tell people not to eat, eat the seafood. Seafood's the healthiest food in the planet. Um, the problem with, uh, with, uh, you know, again, carnivore, it, it, no animal species is pure carnivore. So we can get that out of our minds. We're humans are hunter gatherers, watch the TV shows alone, naked and afraid. It's a great, you know, depiction, uh, vegans on that show quickly tap out, uh, you know, or they convert over to meat eaters, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and ultimately I, I guess, Ben, you know, you and I aren't going to answer all the questions right here, you know, regarding nutrition, but I would tell people back to what you said about glyphosate and Stephanie Seneff. Just eat organic, you know, eat organic food. No matter what you eat, make sure the chemicals are out of the food. Start with that. If you want to eat organic ice cream yeah. or you want to eat ice cream, make it organic, so on and so forth. Get all of the chemicals out of our food. But I do believe that seafood is the healthiest uh, food on the planet, uh, specifically like wild salmon roe. Uh, there's nothing healthier than that. And then number two, eating the organs. Uh, we're, we're huge eaters of uh, bison liver, bison heart, bison kidney, uh, like repairs, like go at it that way. And then me personally, I, I, I prefer to be gluten free. I don't think gluten and those grains, wheat, barley, rye, uh, I, I don't think they have any nutritional value. I don't think they're necessary. Uh, it's just not something that I, I prefer. And again, we do leaky cut testing on everybody. We see everybody come up with high antibody levels to uh, the components of gluten, which are gliadin and glutenins, all the different molecules that make up uh, what they call gluten, which is just the glue, glues up our system, messes up with our arteries, gut microbiome, not necessary. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, like the, I learned some really interesting things from you today, but three of them, I think I'm, I'm really going to take away hardcore from this. The first is you know, I'd forgotten about how critical the exclusion zone, this concept of hydration, minerals, and sunlight is for heart health. And it just reinforced to me the notion of anybody who's who's not yet engaged in some type of regular sunlight exposure or infrared light use or both, and who is concerned about their heart and, and lowering resistance to blood flow. It'd be a really good strategy. The second is something I haven't talked about a lot, and that's this importance of sulfur, sulfur precursors, sulfurous compounds, and even being really careful 
as you were just talking about with inorganic uh, food, pesticides, herbicides, glyphosates, et cetera, because those could potentially strip sulfur, not just from the gut, but from the, from the vascular system. So this, this idea of sulfur support uh, is, I think, also important. And then I didn't know that about berberine as almost like a natural balancer of LDL receptor status, but considering it's also a pretty powerful blood glucose disposal agent for enhancing insulin sensitivity and glucose uptake, I think you know, there's definitely something to be said for berberine. Although for me, you'll like this, I, I'm looking out my window right now, and I have an organ grape root that just grows like weeds on my property. And I can dig that up and shave it. And the root that I can make tea out of or use the shavings of is pretty much identical as far as the biochemical activity of it to berberine. So I'll need to harvest a little bit more organ grapefruit for my heart. And so, uh, so yeah, you're chock full of interesting information, Jack. I mean, the paleocardiologist book I know, and, and your website, the doctorswolfson.com, which I assume you run with your wife are also really good sources of information. Um, any other good, good sources of information that you point people to who want to catch up with your stuff? Yeah, well, you know, uh, naturalheartdoctor.com is my is my preferred website. My wife and I oh, do okay. have that co-site, but uh, Natural Heart Doctor is where we get all the heart health information. And I will say this too, you know, Ben, I know you're, uh, you know, again, you got, uh, you know, Kion Coffee, you know, and your, um, I don't know your current coffee status, but I do talk a lot about uh, the heart health benefits of coffee because I grew up as a coffee drinker. My father yeah. was a coffee drinker. <laughs> You know, back then it was, you know, Folgers and Hills Brothers and, uh, you know, gas station coffee. But as you look at the data, because a lot of people are told by their doctor to get off coffee uh, and or caffeine, and that's a major mistake. And actually, coffee drinkers have less atrial fibrillation. In fact, there's one study that shows that six or more cups of coffee per day led to the lowest AFib risk. Coffee drinkers have less AFib, less stroke, less heart attacks. Coffee drinkers... Uh, women in particular, this study showed that women who drink coffee after a heart attack have a lower risk of dying, which is pretty cool. Obviously, the cancer benefits, the brain benefits, the longevity benefits of it. And especially when you're do, you know, drinking good organic mold mycotoxin free coffee, I think it's absolutely spectacular. So listen, if somebody doesn't feel well on caffeine, don't drink it. Uh, but if it doesn't bother you and you, and you really enjoy it, and I think you should. Just another example of how cardiologists have no training in nutrition. And it's interesting too, Ben, there's another study actually where they gave caffeine tablets to people with paroxysmal AFib versus placebo. And the group that got the caffeine tablets had less recurrent AFib than those who got the placebo. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> That's crazy. There's like that stereotypical idea of somebody drinking a cup of coffee and clutching their chest with a heart attack from excess nervous system stimulation. But yeah, I've I've seen some similar data, man. So, so thank you. Your your checks in the mail for advertising the wonderful Keon Organic Coffee. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm I'm a fan. I have typically when I travel a cup every morning, you know, two to four cups a week at home. So, all right. Well, we we can throw coffee into the mix as well, folks. And all the show notes are going to be at bengreenfieldlife.com/slash/wolfson, W-O-L-F-S-O-N. I'll link to Jack's book, his other materials studies and other podcasts that I cited in this podcast. And uh, Jack, thanks so much for coming on, man. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you. All right, folks. Till next time, I'm Ben Greenfield along with Jack Wolfson signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. Well, this is pretty cool. 
just put the finishing touches on a luxury VIP retreat in the Swiss mountains. So you may have seen a little bit of rumblings about this on social media, but the beautiful Six Senses Retreat, all-inclusive luxury locale in beautiful Crans, Montana, Switzerland, has graciously allowed me to bring a maximum of up to 10 folks, and this could be individuals, couples, families, into a transformative experience there where I'm going to lead breath work, hikes, workouts. You'll get hands-on foraging adventures with nature's freshest ingredients in their cooking class locale there. You're going to get a chance to do amazing spa treatments, a meticulously curated program. You'll get to meet my wife and my sons who will be there. Again, families are welcome. You can bring one or two or three kids. You can make it a couple's retreat. If you want to go solo, you can. There's a limited number of rooms where we're prioritizing couples and families. But again, if you want to get in, this thing is coming up around the corner, April 17th through the 21st, 2024. So it will be all-inclusive. You'll want to fly into Geneva, Switzerland, assuming you want to get into the closest airport. I've already got our flights. Uh, you'll want to mic your calendar for April 17th through the 21st. And here's how to get in. You go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24. That's bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24. And again, it's going to be incredible all the way down to like evening sing-alongs and stargazing and yoga and meditation. And again, the spa there is incredible. Six senses is known for having incredible retreats around the world, but this one in Switzerland is supposed to be one of the best. I can't wait. I led a retreat in Portugal last year and people just said it was the most amazing experience of their lives. This one will be just as good, if not better. So go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24 and you can get in on this retreat that's coming up right around the corner april 17th through the 21st i hope to see you there want free access to comprehensive show notes my weekly roundup cutting edge research and articles my top recommendations for everything that you need to hack your life and much more visit bengreenfieldlife.com In compliance with the FTC guidelines, please assume the following about links and posts on this site. Most of the links going to products are often affiliate links, of which I receive a small commission from sales of certain items. But the price is the same for you, and sometimes I even get to share a unique and somewhat significant discount with you. In some cases, I might also be an investor in a company I mention. I'm the founder, for example, of Keon LLC, the makers of Keon branded supplements and products, which I talk about quite a bit. Regardless of the relationship, if I post or talk about an affiliate link to a product, it is indeed something I personally use, support, and with full authenticity and transparency, recommend in good conscience. I personally vet each and every product that I talk about. My first priority is providing valuable information and resources to you that help you positively optimize your mind, body, and spirit. And I'll only ever link to products or resources, affiliate or otherwise, that fit within this purpose. So there's your fancy legal disclaimer.